Amen. You guys be seated. Good morning. Y'all are awake. It's a good day. Welcome back to Go Fish, week four of our series about evangelism. A series taken from one passage that is so packed full of information, we literally are stretching it into five weeks. And when I say stretching, I didn't have to do much stretching. There's so much in there. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus called out to his first followers. He's walking by the lake. He, he sees some fishermen out on the water, and he says, Come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Come and follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. I love how Jesus used the word play there. It's just really cool. Matthew, when he wrote his gospel, didn't stop when Jesus made the call, though. He didn't stop when Jesus called on these fishermen and told them to come and follow him. He gave us what happened next. Let's look at verses 19 to 22. Matthew chapter 4, 19 to 22. Jesus calls out, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And at once, these fishermen, these two brothers that he was calling to, left their nets and they followed him. And then going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with their father Zebedee, and they were preparing their nets. They were about to go fishing. And Jesus called out to them, and immediately they left the boat, and they left their father, and they followed Jesus. Just the fact that these guys left their family, left their profession, tells us how much is packed into that simple invitation Come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Some people would even say that that's not an invitation. It's more of a command. Jesus wasn't inviting them. He wasn't asking them. He was telling them, come and follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. There's a lot going on. There's a lot packed in there. We've explored a little bit of it so far. We've gotten into uh, all kinds of fishing principles and fishing tips to make us better fishers of men. The most important thing I want us to all walk away from this series with is this. Every follower is a fisher. Every follower of Jesus is called to be a fisher of men. Whether you think that original call was an invitation or a command, we know Jesus told us in the very end, right before he ascended back into heaven to go and make disciples. That's to go fish. Go make followers. So we're called to fish. Followers fish. And I think Jesus strategically chose fishermen as his first four followers, two sets of brothers that were fishermen. His first four followers strategically chose them. And today I want to explore why. Why in the world, of all of the people who were available to him, did Jesus draft fishermen first? Why were they the first followers? I mean, he had teachers of the law. He had other rabbis he could have called and asked to follow i mean they probably would have said no they're doing their own thing but he could have had any number of people right any number of different professions and the first four followers were fishermen matthew 4 19 is at the beginning of jesus's ministry we're going to find the answer to the question at the end of jesus's three-year ministry on earth if you would open your Bibles to John chapter 21. 
John chapter 21. If you don't have your Bible, that's cool. We're going to put the verses up here on the screen. But I definitely want everybody in Elevation Church to come prepared every Sunday to get into the Word. So bring your Bible with you. If you don't want to bring a paper Bible, don't have a paper Bible, you got a smartphone, download a Bible app. There's a bunch of them out there. I like one that's uh, called the U version, Y-O-U version. It's real easy to use, has a lot of translations, simple, quick, easy, love it. It's free download, by the way. Everybody got John chapter 21? Here's what's going on where we're going to pick up in John chapter 21. So Matthew 4.19, when Jesus calls his followers, it's the front end of his three-year ministry. John 21 is towards the back end. Jesus has already been arrested. He has been crucified. He died. He was buried. Jesus has resurrected. And right before we pick up in John 21, Jesus has already begun appearing to his disciples again. He's already made two appearances. And so in John chapter 21, let's look at verses 1 through 3. Jesus has made two appearances, and now it says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, who is also known as Didymus, or the twin, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, who were some of the fishermen we heard Jesus call just a little while ago in Matthew 4, and then two other disciples were together. And Simon Peter said something I admire. Simon Peter said, I'm going out to fish. I'm going out to fish. I love it. Fishermen will go fish when they have an opportunity to go fish. Don't leave a fisherman alone unattended if you don't want him fishing. Because a fisherman with nothing to do, a fisherman when he's not sure what to do next, a fisherman when he just has a moment, will go fish. When I was in sales years ago, I used to carry around fishing rods in the trunk of my car in case the opportunity arose, right? I traveled. I went to East Texas. I went to West Texas. I, I ran into a salesman who carried his golf clubs because he finished every day with maybe 9 or 18 holes of golf, depending on how well he had done that day in sales, I guess, how early he knocked off. He inspired me. I put fishing rods in my trunk. Don't leave a fisherman alone if you don't want him to go fish. Fishermen fish. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. And the other said, we'll go with you. I love it. It's contagious, this fishing. We'll go with you. So they went out and they got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. I hate it when that happens. I've spent a lot of time on the water. I've spent a lot of days and a lot of nights fishing. Spring break for me in middle school and high school was all about fishing. Every year at spring break, we went to Huntsville State Park. My wife cringes when I say the name. We spent our second anniversary there, tent camping. We've not been back. <laughs> Strategic advice for you young married men. Anniversaries in a tent. Not a good idea, just saying. All right, y'all know now, okay? Don't make the same mistake. Learn from other people's mistakes. But I went to Huntsville State Park because I caught the biggest fish of my life back then when I was there one year. And I wanted to go back every year from then on, and I spent every night of spring break fishing off the pier at Huntsville State Park. I didn't care if I caught fish, well, I cared if I caught fish, but I went back the next night, even if the last night I didn't catch anything. I spent all night and as many hours of the day as I could. I fished my heart out. There were a lot of nights back then and a lot of days and nights since then that I have stayed awake, I have fished hard, I have sweated, I have frozen. 
I've been knee deep, I've been chest deep in the water. I've waded, I've bank fished, I've boat fished, I have fished and fished and fished and fished, and many times, many more than I'd like to admit, I come up empty. So I know how the disciples felt after fishing all night, tired, worn out, bummed, maybe even a little bit depressed. Dang it, man, we went fishing and we caught nothing. To help you guys get an idea of what that might feel like if you're not fishermen, I tried to compress a full day's fishing into a one-minute video just to give you an idea. Y'all check it out. Hey, good morning, Elevation Church. It's uh, almost 6 o'clock, 59 degrees outside. I don't know if you could convey in one minute a video what a full day of fishing, of fruitless fishing, fishless fishing feels like, but I hope that gave you some idea. That was a sun up, in fact it started an hour and a half before sun up, to sun down. We literally came off the water as the sun disappeared below the horizon. It was a full day of fishing. Now, in all candor and honesty, and a little bit of, you know, pride and bragging we caught fish that day I had to cut those scenes out so y'all could get the idea of what a fruitless fishing day looks like but it's a painful day it's a hard day it's a rough rough experience to fish and catch nothing how fishermen handle those fishless days makes a lot of difference how fishers of men handle our fishless days makes a lot of difference. See, a fisherman is usually not judged by one day's catch. One day's catch does not the fisherman make. If it did, a lot of first-time fishermen would be like world champions. Because I hear stories every year. I read stories in my fishing magazines about eight-year-old kids side-arming spinnerbaits off of a dock and catching a double-digit bass, the 10-pounder that I've been after for 30 years. Do I get frustrated? You're darn right I do. I've invested time, I've invested money, I've spent hours and hours on the water. But here's the deal. I'm not defined by one day's catch. I'm not defined by one day's lack of catch. My fishing experience is over the course of my lifetime. And, and I don't want my fishing for men to be judged based on one day's experience. My missed opportunities, my dropped balls, Tried to set the hook and missed. 
Should have presented debate and didn't. Presented debate to lots of people and they all went away. Nobody bowed the knee to Christ. As a fisher of men and as a fisher for fish, how I handle that kind of rejection, how I handle those difficult times, those frustrating times, makes a big difference. How did the disciples in the boat on the Sea of Galilee 2,000 years ago handle their frustrating experience? What did they do? Let's find out. Let's keep reading here, starting with verse 6. Jesus just asked, and remember, they don't know it's Jesus. Have you caught any fish? Have you caught any fish? I'm sorry, I said starting in verse 6. That's why I'm sitting there with a puzzled look on my face. It's actually starting with verse 4 and finishing with verse 6. If I would read my notes, it would help. Starting with verse 4, Jesus has seen that the disciples have gone out. They've caught nothing. They're coming in, and early in the morning, Jesus is standing on the shore, but his disciples don't realize that it's him. They don't realize that it's Jesus. He calls out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? Have you caught anything? And they answered, no. No fisherman likes to give that answer. No. And so Jesus said something interesting. Cast your net on the other side of the boat. Cast your net on the other side of the boat, the right side of the boat, and you will find some. Now, as a fisherman, I can tell you this. As I have cruised into the marina, cruised into the docks, if I have come back to the shore, I've experienced this before where there's people standing there and they say, have you caught anything? And it stinks when you have to honestly look at them and say, no. And it's sometimes even more discouraging when they go, hey, they've been jumping right here all morning long. Try fishing right there. Really? And I've got a decision to make in that moment. Will I fish where this person tells me to fish? Or will I ignore this person and assume because I'm in the boat, because I'm out on the water, because I'm Mr. I've been fishing since I was six years old or whatever, that I know what's going on. The disciples had the same decision to make. Have you any fish? No. Well, throw your net over there on the right side of your boat, and there you will find some. Really? Who are you? I mean, we're professional fishermen. We kind of know what's up. We've been out all night. We've been fishing in the best places, using the best techniques. We know what we're doing. The sun is up. To, this isn't the time to catch fish. We're too close to shore. This isn't the place to catch fish. They had all the reasons in the world to ignore what Jesus said. And remember, they still don't know that this is Jesus. It's futile to fish here. It's futile to fish now. But the fishermen did something that defies logic. The fishermen did what the guy on the shore said. Keep reading in verse 6 here. Throw your net on the other side of the boat, and there you will find some. So they cast it. So they cast it. Jesus said, keep fishing. Fish here. 
And the fishermen went fishing. And you know what? The same thing happens when I'm coming in off the water. And that person sitting up there and says, they've been jumping over here all morning. That's all I need to hear. Really? Grab a rod. Zzz, I'm fishing. Because fishermen fish. <laughs> fishermen fish. And when we hadn't been catching, we want to catch something, so we fish harder. We will fish longer. Fishermen fish. We cast. Fishermen always want to make at least one more cast. And I think Jesus knew these fishermen would make one more cast of the net because not only was Jesus, you know, Jesus, like fully God and stuff, like omniscient, knows everything. I mean, that gave him a little bit of a heads up, right? He had some insight there. But I think if he was, I think another fisherman on the shore would have known that those fishermen would fish. Because fishermen know some things about fishermen. We know that fishermen are eternal optimists. Fishermen are some of the most optimistic people you will ever meet. You rarely come up to the boat dock, to the boat ramp, and find a fisherman and say, are you headed out on the water? And, and, and they go, eh, I don't know if it's worth it. Uh, sun's in the wrong position. It's the wrong time of the day. I don't know if it's worth it. I, I, I. Fishermen are like, yeah, I'm going fishing. I'm about to launch right now. I'm headed out. I don't even have to ask, do you think you'll catch anything? Uh-huh. Yep, I'm going to catch some. I'm going to catch the big one. I'm going to catch a lot of fish, or I'm going to catch the fish. Fishermen are eternally optimistic. We believe the next cast has so much potential in it that we can do it for hours at a time. My poor cameraman on this trip, y'all remember Grant that came here and spoke in early June? Grant Skeldon, my friend Grant, he was the cameraman on this trip to the lake. We tried to get Grant to fish, he didn't get it. He watched us all day long and was like, "Are you? what are y'all doing? How do you do this? It's mind-numbing. And it was for him. He didn't understand the potential of every cast. The potential in every cast to land the fish of a lifetime, to catch the one or to catch anyone. Fishermen are optimistic. We have a one more cast mentality. One more cast. As a child, that one more cast mentality got me in so much trouble. Oh my gosh. Ridiculous. By the time I was old enough to go fishing on my own, around 10 years old, mom and dad would let me go fish. Be back at whatever time. Okay. I get out on the water. Mm -mm. Five minutes till. Okay, one more cast. Five minutes after, one more cast. 30 minutes after, I'm already in trouble. Might as well make one more cast. <laughs> Getting dark. Fish bite sometimes right at dusk. One more cast. <laughs> oh, full moon tonight. Sweet. Fish like to eat under a full moon. One more cast. Trina's not laughing again because it carried over from when I was a little kid to when I was, well, I'm still a little kid. I'm just grown up now, right? Physically grown up. Because when we were early married couple, we lived 200 yards from Lake Grapevine, and I would walk down. I would come home from work, grab a rod, and walk down to the lake, and I'd go fishing, and I had the one more cast mentality working. Trina would be at home. We didn't have cell phones. We were too broke. She'd be at home like, where is, well, she, fi she figured it out pretty quick. If my car was there and I wasn't, she knew where I was. Sometimes she'd walk down the 200 yards to the lake. I'd see her back at the tree line. One more cast. <laughs> 
<laughs> come on, fish, come on, baby, come on. Oh, okay, I'm coming, right? Fishermen have a one more cast mentality. We love to fish. Jesus knew these guys were going to throw the net. As soon as he told them, hey, cast your net over here. You'll catch fish. Oh, man, do we have, okay, <laughs> right? They went fishing. Fishermen fish. We are optimistic. We have a one more cast mentality because we know the payoff, the potential for payoff with every single cast. I told you how much I got in trouble from the one more cast mentality. I can't tell you. It's, it's a lot less times than I got in trouble, but a good number of times the one more cast paid off. A lot of the time I'd make that one last cast and catch a fish. Sometimes I caught several fish in a row because once I caught the first one, I couldn't stop making one more cast. Sometimes I caught the big one and I knew it's time to quit. That's the day. Quit on top. The one more cast mentality pays off. The fishermen cast their net. Did it pay? Let's continue in verse 6 and see. Continuing in verse 6. Throw your net on the right side of the boat and there you will find some. When they did, when they cast it, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. They were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? That's got to be the question they were asking on the boat that morning. Are you kidding me? Remember, they don't know it's Jesus. He's some, some dude, maybe some wackadoodle dude on the shore, some crackpot who said, throw your net over there and you'll catch some. And so they did and they caught so many these professional fishermen, and remember, we're not talking about one or two. The list that we just read about who was going fishing, I think there were eight people in the boat. These are eight full-grown men, dudes, real guys, professional fishermen. They've done this a time or three. And they've got so many fish in the net, they can't haul that rascal up into the boat. Catch of a lifetime, folks. This was probably a first for every fisherman in the boat. Catch of a lifetime. So many fish, we can't get the net over the side. They had to be shocked and elated, thrilled. I bet there were some high fives and some like, I don't know what kind of Hebrew dancing they did back then to celebrate, but I bet they were doing it. And then somebody had to have the thought at some point, wait a minute. Who's the guy on the shoreline that told us to fish here? Who's the guide that put us on the fish? Who's the guide that put us on these fish? Verse 7, Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, who is John, said to Peter, It's the Lord! It is the Lord! And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord! He wrapped his outer garment around him before he had taken it off. That was what they did when they went to work. And he jumped into the water. It's like the scene from Forrest Gump. Lieutenant, dive! Right? And the Jenny crashes into the shore because <laughs> he didn't have other people on the boat with him. But the other guys brought the boat in. They followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, just about 100 yards out. 
It was Jesus. See, fishermen fish. Fishermen fish because we're called to fish. We're commanded to fish. Come and follow me. Go and make disciples. Fishermen fish because we are like the eternal optimists. We know the potential of the one more cast. Fishermen keep on fishing in spite of the circumstances, in spite of the odds, in spite of the lack of success thus far, because we can't help fishing. We do it because we're commanded. We do it because we love to do it, because we're optimistic and we know the potential. Fishermen fish because we have a guide. In fact, we don't have a guide. We have the guide. We have the best guide ever. We have Jesus, fishers of men. We have Jesus showing us the way telling us when to fish and where to fish and how to best catch the fish. If Jerry, my friend who guides me on Lake Fork, the other guy in the video that you see all the time, if Jerry wanted to guide me to trophy bass and I was sitting in my living room in Flower Mound, could Jerry do that? Well, of course he couldn't. If I'm sitting in my living room in Flower Mound, he cannot guide me to a trophy bass because there's not one in my living room in Flower Mound. That'd be nice, maybe one day, but there's not one in my living room in Flower Mound. I've got to be out there where the fish are for my guide to be effective. See, Jesus didn't wait, I'm sorry, Jesus didn't tell the fishermen to go fish that night. He waited for the fishermen to go fish. Jesus waited them out. He waited for them to be in the act of fishing before he guided them to the fish. Somebody told me years ago, you can't steer a parked car. I thought that was a really odd statement until I got my driver's license. You ever try to turn the wheels in your car when it's in park, when the motor's off? I mean, you can muscle that sucker around. It's hard. But you know what? You still haven't steered it because it's not going anywhere. All you did was turn the wheels. The best fishing guides in the world, Jerry, the, I think the, one of the top guides on Lake Fork, can't put me on bass when I'm sitting in my living room not fishing. I have to get off my couch, get in his boat, and go fish before Jerry can put me on fish. We have to get off our couch, off our, I'm going to say it because we're grown-ups in here, butts, and you can use that word with one T or two Ts, it really doesn't matter. We got to get off our butts and go fish because even Jesus won't guide us to the fish when we're doing nothing. Evangelism is not something you study. It is not, not an academic pursuit. Evangelism, fishing for men, is a pursuit. It is an activity. It is a verb. You have to do it. It's great for us to be here for five weeks on Sunday mornings learning about it. I'm not here just to educate you. I'm here to equip you to do something. The something you are being equipped to do right now is to go 
fish. Fishermen, fishers of men. It's what you're called to do if you're a follower of Christ in this room. You're called to that eternal optimism that the next time you present the gospel might be the one, it might be the time that you catch your first fish or your next fish or that fish you've been dreaming about for 30 years. Seeing that person, that uncle, that aunt, that, that sibling, that coworker, that really annoying boss, the guy across the street, the teacher that you admired so much, I don't know who it is in your life. But you're called to fish. You're called to be eternally hopeful, optimistic that they might be ready to bite. That you might meet someone when you present the gospel, they're ready to receive it, to make a decision and follow Jesus. Fishermen fish because we're commanded to fish. We fish because we're optimistic. We fish because we've got the best guide in the history of, like, ever. We fish. You know what else? Fishermen fish. Followers fish. Look at verses 9 through 14 there in John 21. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you just caught. And so Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and he dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153 large fish. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? None of them needed to ask. They didn't dare to ask who he is, for they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and he took the bread and he gave it to them and he did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time, the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Folks, we fish because the third time that Jesus appeared is not the last time that Jesus will appear. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. The New Testament is full of promises of his return. The Old Testament is full of prophecies of his first and second coming. Jesus is coming back. And we fish because he's coming back to collect his church. He expects a net full of fish. And that's why he invited and that's why he commanded his followers to be fishers of men. We're here to build the kingdom of God, not to build Elevation Church. Not, uh, yes, that's a part of the process. It's a necessary requirement in building the church. Global is to build the church on a local basis. But we're here to fish for followers of Jesus, not followers of Todd, not followers of, of this church or that church or another church, followers of Jesus. He casts a wide net. And he expects that net to be full when he comes back for his followers. He's given us the task. He's given us the privilege to be fishers of men. See, it's not something that you do out of requirement. It's not something you do out of drudgery. It's not like an obligation. 
It is an opportunity. It is a privilege to share what has been given to you freely. Nothing was required of you to make a decision to follow Jesus. Now, since you've made that decision, there's been a lot required of you because Jesus expects more because he knows there's more in you. But it was freely given to you, the opportunity to follow him. And he expects you to fish and freely offer it to others. And to do it with joy and excitement in your heart. To do it with optimism because you expect good things to happen. You expect fish to come and become followers of his. Jesus is coming back. He's coming to collect his bride, the church. Look at Revelation chapter 1 verse 7. Listen, I just pulled a couple of passages that talk about Jesus' return. Revelation 1-7, Behold, He is coming. He's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him. And all of the tribes of earth will wail on His account. Revelation chapter 22, verse 7, Look, I am coming soon. Jesus' own words, Look, I am coming soon. Soon. Fishermen fish. For all of those reasons, but fishermen fish because Jesus is coming soon and he's looking for a full net. 153 fish, but the net was not torn. 153 new followers. And Elevation Church, we won't be torn. New followers are awesome. It's a great experience. It's Phenomenal for us as a church to see the new life, to be excited like the fishermen were excited at their catch. It's phenomenal for the fish that we catch because they're not going to be filleted like those that were in the Bible were about to be filleted. Those real fish, those scaly creatures. We're not filleting people. We're offering them life now and for eternity. Fishermen fish. We keep on fishing. We never quit because we never know. We never know who the next fish will be where the next fish will be. We never know how they're going to respond. You have long days of fishing. You have long seasons of fishing without catching any fish, without seeing new followers, without having the privilege of leading somebody into a relationship with the Lord. If you feel like you're just tired of fishing, you're tired of the rejection, Or maybe you've just never really been fishing before. Maybe you feel like you're ill-equipped to fish and you're worried about going fishing. I don't know what keeps you from it, but you're called followers to be fishers. You're expected to be fishers. And today I think you've learned how to equip yourself, how to be equipped by God for fishing success. Fish because you're expected commanded to fish. Fish because you're optimistic about the opportunity. Fish because you've got a great guy. And fish because Jesus is coming back. Make one more cast. Or for some of you, maybe make one cast. Your first cast. Because you never know how the next cast will end. Check out the end of my fishing trip back in May. Hey, good morning, Elevation Church. It's uh, almost six o'clock, 59 degrees outside. 
Yeah, a little extra scene in there that wasn't in it the first time around. I like to just stop and look at that picture. <laughs> That's the end of a 30-year quest. That's the 10-pound bass that I spent 30 years of my life in pursuit of. And I'm not showing you that so you think I'm such a great fisherman. It took me 30 years, folks. Ain't that great. I'm showing that because I want you to know at the end of those long days of fishing, at the end of those seasons of fishing with no fruit, with no fish in the boat, you never know what's going to happen on the last cast. Keep fishing. I fished for 30 years to make that dream come true. That fish came at like 7 o'clock in the evening, an hour before quitting time, I was exhausted. We'd been fishing all day. We'd caught fish, but I was tired. It was hard to pay attention to my bait. It was hard to fish that cast out. I put it out there. I didn't have great expectations. I won't lie to you. I'd been fishing in spots next to stumps that looked just like that stump that I fished next to that time without a bite for the last two or three hours. And something just was different this time. There was a tap. There was a thump. I didn't know it was the 10-pounder. I set the hook, and my line just went, whoop, and wrapped around a tree twice. I looked at my guide, and I was, before the line got around the tree, I set the hook, and usually when you set the hook on a fish, you rear back, and you set that hook in there, and you feel the fish come to you. Your rod bends, and then it flexes back a little bit as it you pulled the fish to, the rod never came back. I set the hook and the rod just went and stayed. I turned over my shoulder and said to Jerry, it's a big one. Cranked the handle a couple of times, no line came in. It's pulling line off my reel. Goes and wraps around the tree. Jerry and I are freaking. I've broken two big fish off at Lake Fork with Jerry as my guide before. I say I've broken them off. They broke me off. I've seen the big one get away a couple of times. We're not letting this one get away. We both, it's just eye contact. We know this one ain't getting away. We land that fish. Jerry leans down. He, he takes it into the boat, and he just rolls over with it cradled to his chest. This fish isn't getting away. He stands up and hands it to me, and Jerry's shaking. 
This is my guide. He's caught a lot of 10-pound fish. He's guided to a lot of 10-pound fish. He's turned over fish to his fishermen that he's guided that weighed 14 pounds before, two pounds bigger than his biggest one that he's caught. Jerry's shaking. He knows this is something special. He says, this is your 10-pounder, man. And I got like I am right now. I started crying. I shook as I held that fish, quivering, tears running down my face, snot running out of my nose, I'm sure. I didn't care. I hugged Jerry. I told him I loved him. (laughs) It's an emotional moment, man. I caught my 10-pound fish. We put that rascal on the scale. If I can just be real candid with you for a moment, the scale was broken. It wouldn't weigh the fish. I don't know the exact weight of that fish. We took its measurements. We plugged those into an online calculator for fish that tells you by species with these measurements, it'll weigh approximately this. According to the calculator, 10 pounds, 14 ounces, almost an 11-pounder. I still got to keep fishing for one that I can certify as my 10-pounder. Darn. Got to keep fishing. Give a fisherman an excuse. Give him a reason. Just look away. Fishermen will fish. That was a lifetime achievement. It was an amazing, awesome moment in my life. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know it pales in comparison with the moment where you reach out to somebody and present them with the gospel and they say yes. They bow their knee to Christ and God allowed you the privilege of being the fisherman for that fish on that day. Every single time that that has happened in my life, it's better than this. Every time, whether it was one of my daughters or a stranger I had never met, whether it's somebody here in Elevation Church or somebody I met on the street, 